every time my alarm goes off. Depends on the sport a little bit, but it just, it. I need to worry they're bad at what I teach. So excited to hit this workout. Yeah. I'm so glad my parents never let me. You're listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Live, Live, Play podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Kinsler. And today on the show, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Lara Pence. Um, Dr. Lara Pence is the owner and founder of Lightbox. Um, she is a psychologist. She is part of the experiment, uh, the expert team on CNBC's the No Retreat Business Bootcamp. It's only actually, it's only new to, it's only out, yeah. Um, she is, I have to get the, the chief mind doctor at Spartan, Spartan Races, uh, which the company that Joe DeSena runs. And she, how I found out about Dr. Lara Pence, I've seen her on a podcast before, uh, but it was the book more so, uh, 10 Rules for Resilience, um, that, like I said earlier, I, 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 it's the only book I've ever listened to three times back to back. And every time I listen to it, I'm like, my God. Now, partly I have a six-year-old and a 10-month-old, so I'm right in the in the depths of uh, fatherhood uh, and learning as we go. But Lara, thank you very much for being on the show. It was really, really a, a pleasure and an honor. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to the book three times. I mean, it was definitely, I know for Joe, it was not easy to sit in a studio and record for eight hours, yeah. especially being the man that he is. So we both appreciate it. It's awesome. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. And I won't be the last time. And I, a friend of mine just recently, uh, is he's listened to it now and he's, he's blown away by how it's impact. Cause he's a, he's a dad as well. He's a coach, but how it's impacting him, but kind of, just to kind of get started and a bit of reference for people is like, how, how did the, how did you and Joe start working? Like actually, how did you and Joe start working together and then end up creating a book? Yeah, that's a great question. So Joe, um, he, you know, he's always working on projects. I mean, everything. I mean, he runs this global, you know, in extreme endurance brand, but he's also just constantly working on other side projects. And one of the side projects that he was working on was a documentary where really the core of the documentary was about like how people change and whether or not, you know, somebody can change without putting their body through something difficult. Like, can we just change by sitting on the couch? Basically was the question that he wanted to answer. And so they found, he and his production team found me, um, Lord only knows how, probably just through my work with athletes, actually. That's probably how, now they think about it. And they showed up in my office to, to film basically a session with mm. me and Joe and another gentleman. And, you know, Joe speaks a very direct language and I do too. And so we just found ourselves connecting in a way that, um, that I think was pretty special. And I realized pretty quickly that Spartan and Spartan race was in so many ways, like the embodiment of what I ask my clients to do who come into mm -hmm. my office every day, um, you know, carry the weight of emotional difficulty and overcome obstacles and tolerate challenges. And so, so very quickly we connected. Um, and then, you know, one thing Joe is very good at is when he realizes that somebody could be of a value or asset to him, he wants to like 
swoop them up and bring them into the fold of Spartan. So I was quickly folded into Spartan. And then his book, The Spartan Way, was coming, came out a few months after we met. And after I read that, I thought to myself, like, we need a parenting book. I mean, this, we need to translate this for parents in a way that they can digest and for families in a way that, um, that helps build resilience. And I know that, you know, he had previously been thinking about it as well. And so I texted him and I said, you need to write a parenting book. And he's just said, let's go. And so we did. So, and then it was funny because we, you know, we got, especially when we, when we were doing the book tour, um, which was all virtual, but we got a lot of questions like, oh, you must have done this off the heels of the pandemic because so many parents struggled and like, we need this now more than ever. And Joe and I were like, no, this came about like before the pandemic. I mean, we took, I mean, we took nearly, it took nearly three years to write because um, we really wanted to get it right. And yeah, so that's how the book came about. And I, a part of it, like the, the thing that kind of resonated with me was a lot of, especially from a parenting point of view, is that you're asking parents to be parents and not the child's friend and that you have to, yeah. I know the story of the Christmas and the, 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 the presents left in the mountain. I like, and I, I Joe is that's yeah, uh, I get that. But um, just understanding that you need to set like um, I kind of, I suppose a standard for kids and expect something of them. And then teach them that if they like if they don't get it right, it's that's okay too. But it's a it's a learning curve, I suppose, for for kids when they're growing up and the emotional attachment that they have. And I think I I think it was on one of the videos I seen of you. You were saying that children don't understand how to respond, so they respond with like a whinge or a cry because they're not able to process things at, at an early age. And the default from a parent could be giving out when it's just understanding that you need to just kind of talk to them a little bit more, a little bit, be a little bit more, um, I suppose, empathize with them. But obviously they still have to get what they need done, done, but you still have to empathize with that. They can process that kind yeah. of issue or a, a situation that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, definitely the ethos of the book for both Joe and I, we really wanted to focus on how we've gotten away from sort of this idea that parents are in a position of power. Um, and and, and it, it seems like, especially over here in the States, that there's sort of an equalizing concept going on that, you know, you're, you and your kids should be on equal playing ground. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen that really actually um, become the source of struggle for many families that have shown up in my office. You know, mom will say, well, she's my best friend speaking to a six-year-old, you know, daughter. Um, I mean, if you really think about that statement, like a 42-year-old's best friend is a six-year-old, like that on what, you know, it, just at that most basic level, that feels inappropriate, you know? Um and so, and so Joe and I really wanted to sort of go back to like these really basic tenants. I mean, we're not, it's not rocket science here, what we're preaching and what we're encouraging parents to consider, but what it is, is uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, what you spoke to in terms of, you know, 
when children are crying or when children are complaining or when children are making a fuss, you know, we generally as a society have just become less tolerant of struggle. And that's, that's a moment of struggle. I mean, when you see your kid, you know, really want that toy at the toy register at the grocery store and continues to whine and ask for it, no matter, no matter how many times you say no, your tendency is to just want to not be uncomfortable anymore. And the yeah. way that you're not uncomfortable is to just give the kid the toy, Yeah, you know, but unfortunately that is not setting your kid up for success and for resilience and for a lot of the principles that we talk about in the book, like discipline and commitment yeah. and routine. Um, so we really wanted to go back to the basics and highlight, like, listen, some of the basics work. I mean, there are things that we definitely know now that we didn't know 50 years ago about child development and brain development and neuropsychology, but there are, there are essential tenets in this book that we just know to be true in terms of the way that they work and set your kid up for success. And we really wanted to highlight those. And what I kind of, a thought that came in my head when I was kind of reading the book and I made a note of it was, I, and it's, it's more, I got it from the business end of things from working with mentors is that good bosses or employers, they lead, they don't tell, or like they don't, like they're not a boss or a leader. And I, I kind of, that kind of top of me with like as a parent, you're a leader because you want your kid to emulate or to kind of toe the line of what is a good human and uh, being respectful and again learning that there is you there is a freedom to do what you want, but there is kind of a, a structure in place to keep you safe. And if you're just kind of yelling at your kid that no, 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 and you're not educating the child on why that's not the way and the way we just the way we'd like to do it. Um, it's being a, a parent as a leader more than a, a, a boss. And I, just, I, I don't know, it, it connected with me a little bit easier to understand that because as an employer, that's one thing that I always say, I want to have happy, well-paid staff, not just staff um, because they, if they mm -hmm. need to be happy if I want them to stay longer and I want happy kids uh, despite some days they don't want to be happy and I have to accept that. <laughs> That's normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I, th listen, I, I think there's something that you're saying that's really important, which is that we want to inspire our kids. You yeah. know, when we, we want to, we want them to be curious about the world and we want them to explore and we want them to discover. Um, at least I certainly do. And it sounds like you do as well. And, you know, kids are not little adults. I mean, their brains are not formed in a way yet and I are awarded, you know, like abstract higher level thinking and being able to regulate our emotions. And, and I think that in that way, there's a lot of room for leadership as a parent, but there is some room for sure for management. You know, for example, I have a seven-year-old. If I said to my seven-year-old every morning, I would really like you to brush your teeth. You know, probably like five mornings out of seven, he wouldn't brush his teeth. Yeah. So sometimes I just have to say, go upstairs, please, and brush your teeth, mm. period. You know, and I think that that's okay. And, and, and it, that sort of parenting, I think, has really gotten this bad rap in terms of like, whoa, like that feels really harsh. And, yeah. and I do think that there is a fine line between between wanting to be that leader for your kid and role model certain things 
And also at the end of the day, we have a responsibility. I know that I have a responsibility to raise resilient children. I mean, I want my children to be well-equipped for the world. I want them to be able to, you know, I don't want to be calling their employer when they're 25 years old, trying to make an excuse for why they didn't show up to work. You know, I want them to be able to navigate all that by themselves. And so part of that requires that I direct them towards the right path. But to your point, then they have to find their way in some, Mm -hmm. you know, arenas. And sometimes that means failure. Yeah. And we have, we as parents have to be able to tolerate that failure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one like, cause with some of the, like, cause we work, we work with kids as young as five and we go all the way up to teens before they get into their adults. And, um, we, we have, I have seen where parents will come in and they'll tell me all about their kid and then I'll, I'll speak to the child and the parent will answer for them. And they're just, the, the child has never understood that, like everything's okay and you can quit when you want and you can do what you want and you don't have to push yourself and you don't have to feel uncomfortable. And personally from just experience from myself and then what, what we've been doing with our, with our youth programs is they only ever really learn when they've been put, made to feel uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why I resonated a lot with the Spartan videos and stuff like that. And with them, with the book, it just kind of seemed to really, it, it it made a lot of sense to me when I when I mm-hmm. when I listened to it and anything that kind of yourself and like this the stuff you've done on the mind the mindset on the on, on Spartan and stuff is uh, it it resonates and I'm still learning from it because I'm constantly trying to develop what we're doing with our youth program and I suppose mm-hmm. one of the examples we had is we at the start of last summer we brought our kids there's a local kind of hill it's called Brayhead. Uh, and we brought them up there and we made them all carry a weight. This was clearly inspired by the Spartan camp. Um, and they had to carry a five kilo ball. And then at the end of the summer, and they all hated it. Okay. At the end of the summer, we made them do a four hour hike in a national park with a ball, uh, with a weighted ball, but they had it teams of two. And then when one got tired, the other one had to carry it. And we had two kids that had a complete meltdown at the top of the hill or the mountain and sure, no, sure. Parent, no parents were allowed we wouldn't let any parents it was just coaches and for i think they one was about 30 minutes where they were crying and uncomfortable and wanted to get down the other guy was 20 minutes but when they got down to the end to the car park to their parents they were ecstatic it was the best time of my life and i was i had to go up obviously speak to the parents listen um lily and david they had a bit of a meltdown and i just want to let you know and they were like it was amazing oh my god and it was that kind of they just kept moving and yeah, yeah. realistically there was no way down other than getting back down off the mountain. They had to get back down. They couldn't stop. Uh, but it was a miserable day. It was raining, uh, but they loved every second of it. Like, mm-hmm. and the memory of it is amazing, but they, they went through a 20 to 30 minutes of not wanting to do it anymore. And then they came out of it due to around and they're stronger for it. And I think that type of stuff is really, I suppose lost on a lot of kids especially in the school, like school, like physical education doesn't really happen as much as the way it should happen. Um, and when we're seeing it with kids getting, becoming more obese, and um, I think it's one in five in Ireland, the children are obese, uh, clinically obese. And then you're not allowed to say it. So you get a child is obese anymore because that's unfriendly. And it's like, it's not healthy. No. Uh, you need to kind of, we need, yeah, we need to kind of adult up a little bit and 
like you want to make a stronger generation, not a weaker generation. I think we've kind of went, we went down that road a little bit too much and over protected. And I think there's consequences to that negative consequences to a lot of it. Oh my gosh. Huge negative consequences to a lot of it. And I think this is the thing, you know, I wor- I've worked a lot with adolescents in the past in my private practice, and I've, I've never heard an adolescent say, I'm so glad my parents never let me fail. Any of their mouths. Hmm. But I definitely have heard, I feel overprotected. I'm never allowed to do anything wrong. I've never gotten anything under an A. You know, like all of these all of these examples that kids have in their life where they're not allowed to step out of line and feel that discomfort of, gosh, can I pick myself up? Can I pull myself up by my bootstraps? Like, is it okay for me to not get a good grade? And maybe I could try something different next time and get a better grade. And, you know, they're, and to your point, I mean, the the physicality of our children is just becoming lost. I mean, Mm -hmm. I used to, you know, the way that, I played when I was a kid was I rode bikes and I climbed trees and I jumped into piles of leaves and I created odd structures with sticks, you know, and like went out and explored. And, you know, we try and facilitate that as much as possible, even here in our neighborhood with our own children, but it's tough. I mean, there's definitely, you know, especially, you know, because the pandemic kept everybody inside for long, yeah. so long, it was let's babysit our kids with screens, you know, and mm-hmm. let's give them game tablets and things like that. And recovering from that, and even in our neighborhood, has been tough. And so we'll send our kids out, you know, on a beautiful day where it's 50 degrees and sunny to go find some other kids to play with. And they'll come back and say, nobody can play, everybody's mm-hmm. inside. Yeah. And, and, and People, it's not that I suppose that's a very hard thing for kids to to have gone through. Uh, Like I know my, my son's first days in school were online, which was weird. Um, He didn't know better, but it's still, there's still an impact, I think, to kids over what what, what COVID brought um, Mm -hmm. in regards to what they're allowed to do. And again, going outside and just being kids. And it was a conversation I had with um, a, a friend of mine. I said, if we, if we all just had to play for an hour every day, we have to play. We have to play sports or games or tip the can. And even as adults, we'd probably put a big dent in the obesity epidemic and mm-hmm. with attention um, issues and stress issues for a lot of the majority of the population. And it just has to be play. It can be, and then mm-hmm. it can be like like uh, games. Like I know you were you were you said in the show uh, before, like playing like Monopoly and all that is good for cognitive games. <laughs> uh, and then just so imagine it was mandatory even in the workplace it was mandatory that you had to do a half an hour or 45 minutes of games every day for work like i think that would make huge impact to um the community to the the team in the company um and just in general uh but we don't play anymore and that's one of the things that we try and organize in our gym is a bit of free play uh which like the amount of kids that we've seen that can't hop on one foot or do a tumble or skip and these are all things that me growing up would have been like, just that's what we did. We went outside till it was lunchtime. We came back in and then we went outside till it was dinner time. We came back in. Um, right. A lot of that's been lost. And it, it's, it's, I suppose it's 
trying to get it back is, is going to be a, a big, big task and a big, big challenge over time for a lot of parents. Uh, but I think with the likes of your book and what a lot of other people are doing to kind of bring this all back and educate people, I think we're, we could be on the foot to get back to where we used to be, hopefully, if everything goes right. I hope so. I mean, definitely one of the things that Joe and I have talked about, we talk about in the book, we've talked about it on podcasts that we've done together is that, you know, parents are also afraid of being judged by other parents. And I mean, listen, I know that probably like my own source of uncertainty at any given moment is, am I doing the right thing for my child in this moment? Like, it's just always a a source of concern for me. Mm. Um, And And I think that, you know, Joe and I have talked about that, you know, this type of parenting that we're recommending, which again, by the way, is not rocket science and it's based on data. Like, it's not like we just came up with it. Um, it, It's not going to make you the most popular person and it may not for sure make you the most popular mom to, you know, or neighborhood, you know, like I know, for example, when kids come over to our house, um, we don't allow screens. Mm. So if kids are going to come and play in our house, they can't bring their Nintendo. They can't bring their phones. And then if they bring them, they have to like put them on our counter so that yeah. they're not playing with them in the room and we're not in the room. And listen, like, I mean, that's probably not the house that kids want to go to like, Oh, you know, Parker's house. We can't play games though. You know? And I know that even for myself, you know, I've said things, you know, in public to my children that other parents might look at me and think I have three heads. You know, for example, yeah. if we go out to a nice dinner and one of my one of my, you know, children is acting up in a way that's disturbing the rest of the people at the restaurant, we get up and leave. Yeah. You know, because I'm not interested in ruining other people's dinners that they're paying for. And I could imagine that other parents might watch that and be like, "Oh, what's the big deal? They should just put out their iPhones or just give them, you know." But Listen, I'm I'm working on being way less concerned with being judged by other yeah. parents and knowing that I'm not always going to be the most popular one. But what matters to me is whether or not I'm going to raise children that are going to eventually leave the nest and go out and live productive lives. And so I think for any parent out there that's listening and you know feels like, well, I don't know, I feel like I can't say that, you know, in front of another parent. Like for example, I had my child once I was doing a zoom with a friend and he came up behind me and I said, do you want to say hi to Matt? Cause that was, was the gentleman mm. that I was doing the zoom with. And Matt asked my child a question and my child's response was yup. And I turned to my child and I said, yes, sir. And so my child said, yes, sir. You know, yeah. because to us, those manners matter. We don't say yup. We say yeah. yes, sir. Or no ma'am or yes, ma'am. And but the, even my friend in that moment looked at me like I was crazy. Like I was this incredibly strict mom that was mm. like putting the law down when all I was asking for was manners. So, yeah. you know, we're going to get those side eyes sometimes from other parents and we just have to work through that. And, you know, I give permission, anybody, anyone that's listening to, 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 to be firm with your kids, to set those boundaries and to allow them, you know, guide, to give them guidance in some areas. And also know that, you know, at the end of the day, you really have to ask yourself, like, what do I want in the future for my child? Not what do I want right now? That's going to make me feel better. I, 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 I totally get that. Like I, 
would be very adamant about my son saying hello and goodbye and thank you and please everywhere we go. Right. And it's like, oh, and we have friends and my own mother would be the same, even though the same person who drilled it into me, uh, oh, he doesn't have to give me a hug. Oh, he doesn't yes. have to say goodbye. I'm like, but it's manners. Yes. And you, you do have to because it's manners because someone said goodbye, see you later, I'll see you next time. And you're like, and so I'm like, no, exactly. he, he should have to do that because it's it's basic manners. And we, I think that's, you shouldn't be allowed away with that because as you say, when they're older and if they're going for a job or like anything that people respond well when you show respect to that person. And if someone shows respect to me, I'll, I'll show respect back. And if you're just kind of like right. very nonchalant about it, then you're not going to get that. And that's a big hit, I think, for when kids are going past school into the real world and they get hit with a lot of adversity, which would be one of the things like how how important is adversity to kids? And I like I, I there's a there's a kind of an end to that because I always say to our kids in class when they fail on a movement, if they can't do something yet, I said, when you start cycling a bike, did you nail it? They're right. Like, no. exactly. Did you fall a few times? Yeah. I said, when you were a baby, when you first started to walk, did you stumble? Did you fall? I said, you fell and failed multiple times before you succeeded. So mm-hmm. the movement is the same. And I, that's mini adversity to, to kids. But how, how important would adversity be for children to, to go through it? Children or teens even uh, to go through adversity so they learn better. Uh, huge. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier, which I think is spot on that, like we, we really grow when we're uncomfortable. Mm. Right. And, um, and I think, listen, I mean, Joe, Joe definitely lands on like the extreme side of things. I mean, he manufactures some serious adversity for his children. Um, but his children also leave you know, they live very comfortable lives in other ways, you know, and so they're awarded many things that other children are not. And so I think Joe even goes so extreme sometimes because he is trying to navigate that world of, you know, my children have, you know, in a lot of ways live a very privileged, albeit Joe's worked incredibly hard for it, but life. And so I'm going to make sure that they experience, you know, adversity at times. And I think, I mean, our very first rule in the book and 10 rules for resilience is you can't until you can. Yeah. And I think, you know, so exposing your children to things where you even maybe know they're going to fail, like literally this past Sunday, we, we bought our children mountain bikes for Christmas and because of the snow and the ice here in Colorado, they haven't really had the opportunity to ride them while well, the snow is melting and the sidewalks are clear. Mm. And so I went with a bi- on a bike ride with my seven-year-old on Sunday. And I said, I'd really like you to ride the mountain bike. And it's uncomfortable for him because it's new and it's bigger and there's yeah. gears and he's definitely a little bit more hesitant than my older child. But, you know, I said, I didn't push, but I said, I would really like you to try. Like, let's just, if that's good, then maybe we can go a little bit further. And he pushed him. So he went down the driveway and then he's like, I want to go back. I want my other bike. And I said, okay. So we start going back and then halfway back, he says, okay, no, I'll go. And so he keeps going. We turn back around and we keep going. But 
we went, we ended up going for a bike ride. He, he learned the gears and we're on our way home and there's this huge mud puddle and he's on a mountain bike. Right. So this is like exciting. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm going to like be able to get yeah. through this mud puddle. So he, he says, can we go this way? Like through the mud puddle instead of around the mud puddle. And I was like, totally, man, let's do it. So we go. And as I'm going through it, cause I'm leading and I'm like yeah. 20 feet ahead of him. I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> There is no way his bike is two inches into the mud. And it was really, you know, I had to go in the lowest gear in order for me to get through. And, but I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that happens is the bike stops and he falls and he falls in the mud and he cries. And then we go home and that's it. Well, the near worst happened. The bike stopped and he tipped over to the edge. His shoes got all muddy. He didn't totally fall. But he just walked his bike out of it, you know, and he was and he was excited and proud of himself for trying. Yes. (laughs) That he was brave enough to move in there. And I think this is where, as you know, as a psychologist, like this piece is so important to me that when we expose our kids to things that are difficult, when they meet adversity, when they encounter challenge, it gives them an opportunity to build confidence. Yes. And when we don't do that, when we don't put those things in front of them and life is just easy and they're able to do anything that they can, then they never, they're never able to say to themselves, man, that was hard, you know, but I tried and let me try again next time. So, you know, it's, it's hugely, hugely important. And you can like, just even that example of the mud puddle, you can find little ways to put adversity in front of them. You know, the next time that you're on a bike ride with your kid and you're on the sidewalk, don't go on the sidewalk, go in the dirt, go in the mud, you know, and just little ways of, of manufacturing that adversity provides your child an opportunity to build a confidence. And I, like, I, I, I've experienced a bit of that with my son, especially with water and stuff. Like I want him to get in the pool and he, he wouldn't like, he wouldn't get his face wet. And now he's doing swimming lessons. He's getting more confident. So this summer he's kind of got, Hey, can I get in the water with you this year? Cause we live close to the sea. And I'm like, 100%. And I want them in there and I want them to do uh, everything. And I'm as nervous yeah. about him trying some, I am the geek dad. I'm there like waving, like, thumbs up every time my wife my wife does be like you're so embarrassing and I can't control and I'm trying to be cool but I'm not cool at all when I do it because I'm so nervous for him and I'm like I'm pimped up and then he does it and I'm like yeah and I just want to like run over to him uh but he's at that point now where I'm I'm, I can be embarrassing he said I was embarrassing I was it was like you're a bit young for me to be embarrassing but I okay I'll accept it um but yeah, like letting them, like having, like you said, as your son, like he had that, he was nervous about it, but he still did it. And then mm-hmm. the, the experience of it alone, whether it was tough or it was hard, it was a re- rememberable and enjoyable experience, which sometimes hard things are. Totally. And you know what? You know what? When he came home, yeah. he didn't say to dad, I fell in the mud. That was not what he said. What he said was, I learned to ride a mountain bike and change gears. So it was like, you know, he, he integrated it as a success in his 
failure for him. It was, gosh, I tried this thing and it didn't work out and I got kind of muddy, but that was kind of fun, you know? So I think, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, we're going to be scared as parents for sure. My oldest child climbs and every time he goes up, I'm terrified, even though he's strapped into ropes, you know, but I mean, the thing is we often as parents are more afraid than our kids are and they absorb our emotions and our experiences. And so if we can just chill out a little bit and like, let them go, it's unbelievable what they will do. And I, I would be, again, like if my son goes out to play when he was making friends from where we live in our neighborhood, you know, I would walk out and I'd go to the edge and I'd try to make sure he didn't see me, but I would be so, and my wife was always like, you just relax. I was yeah. so nervous about him making friends. I was like, yeah, what if yeah. people don't like him? What if people don't want to play with him? Like, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't show him that. Um, but oh my God, like I couldn't believe it, but I could see where, a parent can influence their child's behavior by how they act to what they're oh, doing huge. in a daily and like, and, and it could be for anything playing a sport. I seen it when, when a coaching, uh, mm-hmm. when I used to teach swimming lessons, if a parent was very nervous about the child, the child would automatically become nervous about getting into water. Um, but then like in the gym and just in general, but I, I understand it on it when I, when I, when I feel it myself, I'm kind of like, right, you need to kind of calm down and just let it happen. And what, again, like you said, what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you might yeah. fall over, cry or something like that. But if a friend goes off, someone doesn't want to play with them, that's okay too, because that's a learning curve. And we've all, well, most people have been there uh, as kids because kids don't understand and just, I don't want to play with you today. And <clears throat> he comes in, might, might be a little bit upset, but that's normal too. I think that's yeah, part exactly. of growing. And I suppose uh, that would lead me on to uh, one thing that uh, it's a question that I've kind of, I've been working with myself as an adult and I don't know how it falls in with kids, but our teens is, uh, and you spoke about how to, how to get things and keep things in control. And when I listen to you uh, do that bit on the, on the, 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 the mindset, was how what would be your approach to helping someone understand an emotional response to a practicality response as in if you can't like for me a big thing that i try to learn and still learning is i can't if i can't physically change it i need to stop putting time and and my own emotional energy into it Mm -hmm. uh and like so for example if if a if another business moves into Bray where I live and opens up something very similar, a kid's program like mine, there's nothing I can do about what they're doing. I have to double down, but there's an emotional thing. It's like how dare they. And, um, but for, for kids or teens, and I don't know if you've, you've kind of had it in your own clinic with your youths you've worked with, or even with some athletes, I suppose, if an athlete lost their spot on team, um, trying to remove that emotional aspect to they if they if they can't control how to move as far as I suppose process it and move on from it. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think one of the things that I think we just need to be real clear as human beings is that we are much more feeling beings than we are thinking beings. Um, and yet we try to we try to position ourselves much more as thinkers than as feelers. Um, 
And so, listen, we're never going to eradicate or erase emotions from any experience because it is the human experience. But what we can certainly do is learn how to A, identify and recognize our emotions better, and then B, respond to them in a much more healthy way. And let me start with the first one. So identify and recognize our emotions better, often act and being able to recognize when a certain emotion is coming up for you. I have done enough of this work to know, for example, what it feels like in my body when I'm angry versus when I feel shame versus when I feel anxious, right? And so for me, like when I know that I'm about to feel something like a big feeling, Hmm. it always shows up in my body first. And I think that we, we sort of need to use our body in a much in a much greater capacity to give us wisdom because it does, it's telling us how we're feeling. We just need to tune in. But the next thing that we need to do is be able to identify it appropriately. We typically put our emotions into three baskets, happy, mad, or sad. And the truth is we feel so many other things than that. Um, And so I would encourage anybody to just even Google like list of emotions and start to become more familiar with lots of different emotion words. Like one word that I find myself feeling, and I know that my clients feel a lot, but are often afraid to say is disappointed. Hmm. You know, I feel disappointed in myself. I feel disappointed in my child. I feel disappointed in my team and my coworkers, right? Um, Because that feels again, sort of like so harsh, you know, yeah. but it's, but it's how we feel. And so we need, so the only way that we can give our emotions less power is to identify them appropriately and to, and to not be afraid to identify them, to not be afraid. I'm really angry at you right now. You know, for, for example, as a parent, that's something I do not like to say to my kids because yeah. I know that it makes them feel scared, but I say it because I don't want them to be afraid of anger. You know, I'm not throwing things when I'm angry. I'm just saying, I'm really angry with you right now. And so you need to go upstairs and close your room and you need to stay in there for a little bit, you know, or whatever it is. But so I think that identification of our emotions is really important too. And then we move into being able to regulate them. And really what that means is that that's when we really have to like activate our more wise and logical mind. And the first way we do that is by just identifying that a feeling is a feeling. A feeling isn't a fact. You know, I'm scared of airplanes, for example. And so when I fly, I get anxious and I feel yeah. it in my body immediately. Um, but just because I'm anxious that this metal tube 30,000 feet <laughs> above ground is going to fall to the ground doesn't mean that's going to happen, you know? And so I, so it's, so just even me saying and changing the language from I'm anxious to I'm having the feeling that I'm anxious provides some separation. So we need to, we need to be able to acknowledge that, that a feeling is not a fact um, and create that separation for ourselves. That's a great way to be able to manage our emotions better is just to create some separation. So it doesn't feel like the emotion has enveloped us. Um, And then we need to really integrate like this, as I said before, sort of this like logical, more, intelligent, less primal side of us, which is like, well, what do I want to do? You know, so I'm feeling angry. So I'm feeling disappointed. So I'm feeling shame. So I'm feeling joy. So I'm feeling elation. 
what do I want to do next though? Right? Like this emotion wants me to do X, but I really want to do Y, you know, I'm angry at my child. So the emotion wants me to yell at my child, but I'm not a yeller. And that's not what we do in our home. So I'm going to speak to my child. Um, You know, I feel joy and celebration, which makes me really want to, you know, skip out my workouts for the week and just go hang out with my friends. But here's actually what I'm going to do instead. So even like just bringing those things into consciousness and into awareness of our ability to make a choice for how we respond makes us feel more powerful. Uh, What you said there was really, um, I feel anxious now, or I feel Mm -hmm. sad now, or I feel angry now. It's not, I am angry. That was was really, as you said, disassociation is it's a really good way of looking at it. Um, I never thought of it like that, to be honest. And it's, Mm -hmm. uh, I used to do way if I can't change it, get over it. But I never, like like thinking about like that is a lot yeah i'm allowed be annoyed or allowed be uh angry or disappointed and that's okay but it's just a feeling and accept that it's a feeling and it's like everything it will pass um that's right yeah, it's, it's a really uh yeah it's a really good thank you for that one that was a good one i like that yeah and it, listen i mean when you when you also i mean you know, one of the things, Joe, and I talk about in the book is, you know, we've got to embody these things as adults first in order to really be able to teach them to our children, to our children. And so, you know, as you even begin to say that out loud to your child, you know, like I feel angry with you right now, or I feel so excited for you right now, like using that language, then they learn to use that language too. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in our, in our house is like having big emotions, right? Like, and so we use the language, like I'm having a big feeling right now. Um, and usually those, the ones that like lead to the tantrums or lead to being totally dysregulated, but just being able to use that language and have that really like weave into the fold of the way that the family speaks is really helpful. No, I, I, I definitely, it's something I'm going to kind of like, I'm going to take a notes on this, uh, when I review, when I go through the podcast again and just kind of use some of those things. Cause I know sometimes if, if, I think my son, my, my wife, uh, would get it if I was able to do it that way rather than being like, this is, this is just me, I'm angry, not what this, how I feel. Um, one, one of the things, right. I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, and I kind of just kind of will leave it with this last question, if that's okay with you, is it's kind of a, a two, is I like the idea of figuring things out by asking the right questions and i know that you you did another show uh with i can't remember her name but she's from spartan you did it for women's day and oh marion Mar- yeah and uh you talked about asking uh you were talking about asking the right questions but also mantras and affirmations and i this is something that i do and it's at the start of every day how do how do i want to feel today what do I need to do to create that feeling? Um, what can distract and disrupt that from happening? How do I deal with that moving forward? If it happens, what's the outcome of the day? And then at the end of the day is, what was the best part of the day? What is one thing that went wrong? How can I fix it next time? How do I want to feel in the morning? And they're just questions. And I, I, I don't do them every day. I try and do them. 
I'm really good Monday to Friday, weekends, and that's just me being lazy. Um, but I, I find that when I ask those questions and things happen, especially in the evening, I process a lot of the negative stuff that might have happened that day and I realize all the positives because I think uh, mm -hmm. I forget about that. So like asking the right questions, if you, if I suppose if, and again, this is again, kind of, kind of gearing it toward our youths is if you were to kind of pose one or two questions to them to ask themselves, but where would you kind of lean towards or would you have mm -hmm. something or is it, are they too young for that? No, that's a, um, that's a great question. Um, I will, I will say two things. So the first is, um, I would really encourage our youth to move away from why, why did I do that? Um, why did that happen? Um, why often just because of the way certainly over here that sort of we are taught through association immediately indicates that something is wrong. And, um, and so, you know, just even think about when you're with your kids and you say like, well, why did you say that? You know, it, that basically is saying like you did something wrong. Yeah. And so when we internalize that, why, and then we start to ask ourselves like, well, why did I do that? And in, it implies that there's something wrong versus a more productive question. Like what was at play that made me do that? You know, what was going on that led me to act that way? Yeah. How come I responded with that? You know, it, it, it feels just even less aggressive or, or less um, there's less of an implication than when we use the word why. So I'd really want us to move away from why um, I think a really great, I think a really great question that we should all ask ourselves. I mean, I love that you ask these questions as much as you can, if not every day. Um, but a question that I love too, to add into that is like, how did I contribute today? You know, how, and not to anything, to the home, to your relationships, to your job, to your sports team, you know, to just have it be a reminder that we matter you know, and that there's a reason for us. Um, I think that's a helpful one. Oftentimes I'll ask my kid because, you know, how was school today? You get the same thing every single day. Fine. What'd you learn? Nothing. Yeah. Okay. So this sounds like a great investment. So um, I try and change it up and ask, you know, who did you help today and who mm -hmm. helped you? Um, and that was something that actually another psychologist taught me in a podcast and I loved it and I've like kept with it. So but all of that, again, sort of points to contribution, you know, like why is your presence and how is it about what you're doing right now? How does that contribute to the world that you want to live in? Mm. Um, and kids can do that. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, we think like, oh gosh, seven must be too young for that. Five must be too young for that. No way. No way. Like, in fact, that's like five and seven is an incredible age to get some of the best answers. Like, how did you contribute in your classroom today? You know, oh, I farted, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, like there's, there's all this stuff yeah. that kids can come up with, but I think it's a great, I think it's just a great way for us to sort of use a different part of our brain. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I like to bring in with her. Like when we work with our kids, I always, I, I try to ask the questions. I think I might do the why question a little bit, uh, which I will again, try and not to move around, ask from a different angle. Um, but like it was, 
it's it's that age old thing is that you can ask all the questions, but if you ask the right questions, you only have to you only have to do it once or twice, and then you can yeah. get to the core of what is happening with someone or what someone's going through or how productive they're being uh, in 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 their day or their, like again if they're if they've added to their day or the people around them, I think in a great way. Um, mm. But uh, I'm not going to keep you anymore. I know we're, we're approaching the hour. Um, so guys, anyone that's uh, kind of listening to the show, uh, all of like links to Dr. Lara Pence is in the comments below. Uh, I'll put in a bunch of them, a different podcast that she's done and stuff from Spartan. The, the link to the book, if you haven't got it, get it uh it is definitely um i've i've listened to it three times and the hard copies on its way uh <laughs> not that i read books much anymore um but dr lara pence i really appreciate you being on the show uh I, i've taken a lot of knowledge from you and uh just continue doing what you do because it's definitely impacted if it's impacted me and my wife was willing to listen to it i'm winning somewhere <laughs> and <laughs> that's more than enough thanks to well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled that you've listened so many times and it's fantastic to know that it's making an impact. No, that's brilliant. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for your time. Every time my alarm goes off, depends on the sport a little bit, but it just, it, I need to worry. They're bad at what I change. I'm so excited to hit this workout. Yeah. I'm so glad my parents never let me. You're listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast.